Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Info Security Magazine podcast, Into Security. Uh, my name's Dan Raywood. I'm the deputy editor of Info Security Magazine. And Michael Hill here as well. I'm the editor. So a big thank you uh, for joining us for this, our latest episode in our podcast series. Yeah, and to kick off podcast number 15, we've got a few stories as usual that we've uh, been covering on Info Security, and we're going to take a bit more of a, a slightly deeper look at in some of the things we've been running over the last few weeks. So I'll kick things off today because, um, as you may have seen in uh, on back on the 25th of May, which was Monday as we record, was the second anniversary of GDPR, the, well, the deadline for compliance with GDPR, I guess we'll probably call it GDPR Day as the years go on, um, where we did some pretty good content actually, which went up, which of course you can all... Uh, um, you can see it's all available to, to read on our website. Um, but also just ahead of that, the, um, the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, who's the UK data protection regulator, they released their, um, their report on incident trends. This was the Q4 of 2019. Uh, they said there were 206, sorry, 2,000, 2,629, 2,629 incidents reported to it in Q4 of 2019. Now, of course, this was, you know, some, some time ago, but as it goes, you know, we, we get these reports uh, a few months after they've actually um, you know, been been closed. They don't put them out immediately. Um, what was quite interesting about this is that the majority actually were for non-cybersecurity incidents. You can see me doing air quotes with non-cyber. Um, rather than being it down to things like data breaches and ransomware and things like that, the majority were actually, for example, for 337 for data email to incorrect recipient, um, 265 to uh, were due to data posted or faxed to incorrect recipient, and then some others. Um, um, to uh, a loss, theft of paperwork or data left in an insecure location. Um, in that period, actually, we only saw two fines. Now, we're not kind of, you know, sitting there demanding to see more. Obviously, they, you know, it's interesting to see when uh, the companies are fined under GDPR because such a lot of uh, fuss was made about the size of the fines uh, in advance. But we only saw two, which were half a million, 500,000, which you'll recall was the old maximum penalty that the ICO was able to issue pre-GDPR. Um, one of those, well, actually, there were two instances of the same amount. One was to DSG Retail Limited. Uh, that was after a point-of-sale computer system was common compromised as a result of a cyber attack. So there was one cyber incident. And the other one was against Cathay Pacific, the airline. Um, they were fined half a million for failing to protect the security of customers' personal data after their, their computer systems lacked appropriate security measures, uh, which led to personal details being exposed. But it was very interesting to see that in particular, it was non-cybersecurity incidents that outweighed the uh, the cybersecurity. We, we talked to a couple of people about this. Uh, one was Rick Goud, who is from a company called Ziver, who are a Dutch cybersecurity firm and he said it's not it's, it's due to less uh it's not bound down to data leaks he said but due to a decrease in the reporting culture he said possibly prompted by the lack of action shown by the ico actually what he's saying there is effectively it's not down to the fact that there's fewer incidents happening it's about more the case that people aren't reporting them more but maybe people are reporting these very sort of what they might think to be very minor instances now we don't have details on fines issued there of course they Fines are issued, you know, immediately. They might be coming through. We might hear in a matter of months that those fines are being issued for those particular instances. Um, we also talked to Brian Honan from BH Consulting, and he said this proves that security breaches and the majority of them are not down to what he calls sophisticated attackers, but the result in uh, failings in basic security controls. 
I won't read his, his entire query, but he said, yeah, this is a key source for breaches. And uh, he blamed a lack of appropriate training on how to handle and process data, as well as a combination of weak security controls that uh, don't prevent or alert to breaches. And also he blamed, of course, you know, patch problems, um, effective email security, which doesn't maybe protect against phishing attacks or data leakage. So all in all, it's, it's a bit of a combination of a few things that actually shows that uh, I guess the human factor outweighs a lot of what we'll call, you know, more cyber style attacks, which in this time of of COVID-19, when we're seeing a lot more phishing attacks, apparently much more, you know, the number of phishing attacks hasn't gone up, so we're led to believe. Um, they're much more targeted around the single theme, so it's much more of a target that that's what's happening. But it's the chances are that people are doing these things wrong. Now, with a mostly remote working workforce, maybe people aren't posting so much you know we we were encouraged for a long time not to leave our houses so we didn't maybe get to the post office so much so maybe if this comes around uh, towards the end of the year we might see this one for q1 of 2020 there might be more non-cyber security incidents that are more related for example to email issues because people are or, or, or lost in cloud storage things like that but michael it's it's an interesting one to see that non-cyber is the bigger problem here, according to ICO, rather than, you know, like we said, huge problems with APTs, ransomware, phishing, etc. It is, yeah. We uh, featured a, a really good feature article in our Q2 print issue, which was obviously um, was distributed was a couple of weeks ago, around this very topic, looking at, you know, the information security risk is, you know, is more than just cyber. Um, <clears throat> like you say, you know, documents and things like that, even right, you know, down to things being faxed or, or, or posted to the wrong place, the wrong person, it does still happen. Um, an interesting thought that I had just, just kind of listening to that is, you know, obviously way back when we went into lockdown and offices kind of were open one minute and then pretty much closed the next. I wonder how many offices have, you know, not, not necessarily thought that they've got, you know, um, shred you know shred bins or, or, or waste paper bins full of documents which would normally be kind of routinely destroyed um still sitting in, in there and um, they have been for the last two months it's probably not something that companies really had thought of at least some i would have thought so this is an interesting one um to come to come out of that research actually um so a story from me and this is um regarding a new version of turla that's t-u-r-l-a um malware posing a threat to governments now, this was research that was shared by ESET. ESET have been doing a lot of good research. Uh, well, they always do, really, but particularly over the last few months with regard to um, threats uh, around COVID and things like that. Um, so they released details of the new Comrat Backdoor, which is one of the oldest malware families run by the notorious cyber espionage group Turla. Um, ESET points out the findings will be a particular concern to government agencies such as militaries and diplomats um, with this updated backdoor able to use Gmail web UI to receive commands and exfiltrate data to try and steal confidential documents. Uh, so the Turner Group, obviously referred to as Snake, has been operating for around the last 10 years primarily targeting governments across Europe, Central Asia and the Middle East. Um, it has breached a number of major organisations, including the US Department of Defence back in 2008 and the Swiss defence company uh, RUAG in 2014. So uh, one method it uses to steal important information is the malicious backdoor Comrat, which is believed to have first been released back in 2007. So one of the researchers on this, uh, Mathieu Foy, um, said based on the vic victimology and the other malware samples found on the same compromised machines, we believe that Comrat is used exclusively by Turla. Um, 
Now, ESET also found evidence the full f that this is the fourth version of the malware, uh, which has attacked at least three government institutions in 2017, and that still was still active as of January this year. So it was at least still active of January this year. Um, the operators used public cloud services such as OneDrive and ForShare to exfiltrate the data. Um, the new version uses a, a completely new code base and is a far and is far more complex than other incarnations. It can perform a number of new actions on compromised computers, such as executing additional programs and exfiltrating files, whilst having unique abilities to evade security software. Um, further comment from Fowl was that this shows the level of sophistication of this group and its intention to stay on the same machines for a long time. Additionally, the latest version of the Comrat malware family, thanks to its use of Gmail Web and interface is able to bypass some security controls because it doesn't rely on any malicious domain so some interesting uh, research to come out there it's surprising you know looking back you know this first of all the the group itself turler has been you know operating for at least 10 years targeting you know governments across the world Comrat itself um is believed to, to to have been around since 2007 um it's amazing that these things are still kind of actually causing an causing an issue it is. And like you just said at the very end there, you said, you know, still get bypassing security control. It's a bit like what we said about the first story there, that, um, that you know, that these things aren't, aren't being caught and uh, we're still having the, these problems. I'm actually, yeah, just, just reading the story, you know, it, that there it's, a, it's causing the problems to uh, to governments as well, which, you know, is particularly uh, particularly challenging, well, pretty challenging all the time, really. But right now, yeah, governments and, and other sort of verticals, critical verticals need to be online. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a concern that something that's been going around so long as well that hasn't been stopped. So, um, well, we're going to jump in slightly a little bit different here because this was um, a launch of a, a new not-for-profit body um, that we reported on last week, which was particularly uh, uh, looking to advance and represent the asset, IT asset management industry. Now, you might kind of look at that and think, well, asset, asset management it's no uh, there's nothing exciting there it's not edr it's not ddos prevention it's not phishing or you know simulation all the kind of things that maybe what sort of thing is slightly more uh, interesting but asset management's been a huge growth area actually in in sort of IT generally, of course, they're calling themselves the IC Asset Management Forum, um, as well as you know within cybersecurity. Because to sort of cite some of the thing coverage we've given over the last couple of years, if you don't have notice and visibility of what you're actually trying to secure, then you're not really able to do any kind of cybersecurity at all. Hence, asset management has, has become a much more popular area. So as I said, we, we covered this um, quite recently, and the it's called the ITAM ITAM Forum, and it's been launched by uh, a founder by chap called Martin Thompson with a board of 15 trustees who represent different um, resellers, users, uh, providers and consultants across the uh, the asset management um, sector with two intent in, uh, in objectives, which are to educate and evangelize uh, ITAM and also promote best practice. And we'll get onto that in just a second, what they mean by that. But uh, Martin said that the smart management of assets is a shrewd business practice, which delivers benefits far beyond IT. And by raising the profile of ITAM discipline. It's more than just compliance, which I guess you probably think asset management fits into sort of governance and um, maybe even compliance, uh, but demonstrating its value to every organization uh, looking to better manage its assets. Um, we had a chat with um, Lenny Zeltzer. Lenny is the CISO of an asset management vendor called Axonius, some a company we've been uh, very fortunate to work with on our webinar program uh, last year. And um, he said it was encouraging to see the importance that's been uh, placed upon IT asset management. Of course, he would 
say that. He works for a vendor selling this stuff. Um, but I do remember when I went to RSA Conference, I think it was 2019, that Exonius actually won the Innovation Sandbox, which is the, the best new company award. And uh, I don't think it was Lenny on stage, but whoever was on stage actually said, you know, this isn't the most exciting thing, but it's a really critical part. And they absolutely, and they won it. You know, they're pretty valuable. Um, but Lenny Zeltzer, he said that security teams recognize ITAM is a foundational aspect of a security program. And he cited uh, various uh, standards and certifications, which all need uh, include the need for ITAM for years. And he said he's seen uh, professional security professionals pay much closer attention to this requirement. Um, another thing that they're doing, as I said, there's kind of a, uh, looking to professionalize the sector, is they announced a long-term objective to create a certification program for ITAM. This is going to be based on the global ISO standard, which is ISO 19770, not one I've come across, to be honest, uh, 19770. Um, now, this was first published in 2006, so 14 years ago, and quite, you know, quite maybe. I don't know if it's been updated. I, I didn't look that closely at that, but this is something they're trying to create a new certification, which suggests it's probably something that's maybe a little bit older now. Um, but Thompson said by certifying organizations against the ISO standard, they will look to provide the highest measure of quality to demonstrate the competence of an ITAM department in the face of increasing board level scrutiny, which is another factor, of course, if you know the board can say, you know, you spent half a million on this particular technology, you know, what, what did we, what did this money go? And you could, if you've got good asset management, well, you know, then you've got a way forward. So it's, you know, when I picked this up, Michael, I thought, you know, asset management, you know, is anyone going to read this and think, well, that's something I need to do. But most people probably don't. It's probably something that's been uh, you know, growing up quite slowly. But at the same time, it, it's, we talk so much about visibility and ownership and all those kind of subjects and all part of the wider cyber hygiene trend that actually asset management, it's great that you know the organisation is stepping up to try and professionalise something that's maybe been a bit underrepresented until now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, like you say, it seems like a good a good thing, a positive thing to happen. And I guess, yeah, I think it, it's something that is more and more important in companies uh, all the time, really. And, and I guess having some kind of support system there or some sort of guidance or something to follow um, is, is going to be of, of help. So maybe, I don't know, a year or year two, uh, year or two, um, uh, time from now we'll be looking back and thinking actually that was a, a good thing to come around and, and happen so we'll keep an eye on that um one more bit of news from me uh, regarding ransomware <laughs> remember that so that is some research which was uh, carried out by group ib and they uh, looked into the the year of 2019 obviously uh, last year um looking at how ransomware uh, moved and some of the key trends now, they actually discovered that ransomware demand soared by 950% last year. So there was a 950% uh, increase in the amount of ransomware demands um, with the number, in tax, uh, number of attacks sorry, uh, jumping 40% over the year. Um, so they're based over in Singapore. They're a security vendor. And um, they 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 say that as large enterprises become an increasing focus for attacks, uh, ransomware demands um, increase from eight eight thousand dollars in two thousand and eighteen to eighty four thousand dollars last year, nine hundred and fifty percent increase. Interesting. They actually listed some of the uh, greediest ransomware families, I guess you could say, um, who are obviously seeking the the, the highest payoffs. And according to, to Group IB, that's uh, Revil, who we're seeing quite a lot of the last couple of weeks, actually, some Revil ransomware attacks, on occasion demanding $800,000 uh, for a ransom. Um, as mentioned, uh, last year saw an increasing number of attacks focus their efforts on larger targets, often using sophisticated APT-style attacks um, to, to do so. Um, 
Group IB noted that phishing emails continue to be the number one initial uh, threat vector alongside RDP compromise and websites infected with exploit kits. Um, got a comment here from um, Oleg Skolkin, who is Group IB Senior Digital Forensic Specialist. Uh, he said the year of 2019 was marked by ransomware operators enhancing their positions, shifting to larger targets and increasing their venues. And we have good reason to believe that this year, so 2020, they will, they will celebrate this with even greater achievements. Interesting, obviously, you know, what we, the, the, what we find ourselves at, at the moment, the COVID pandemic and the amount of fishing that we've been seeing going on. But then I remember a couple of years ago, we kind of had a few conversations. It was around about the time that um, crypto mining was kind of gaining a lot of traction. And there was, you know, we had a few kind of discussions about, well, is, is you know, the, the death of ransomware was almost being being called. And we, we thought it was quite exciting at the time because obviously, well, we thought, well, obviously ransomware has obviously been such an issue for, for, for quite a long time. And sort of crypto mining seemed to come out of nowhere. And for, for a while, at least, at least you know, a couple of months, it was kind of the big news. Um, I think we can safely say that since then, ransomware hasn't died. If anything, it's, it's just, it, it's grown and evolved. And I'd say for me, for me personally, gotten bigger, um, Generally, obviously, we've not seen anything on the scale of WannaCry and, and not Petra, um, but just generally, it seems to be becoming, you know, more more sophisticated and, and more targeted and, I guess, and more complex, it seems. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, we did talk about the death of ransomware. I forget where we talked about it. I hope it wasn't on this podcast. It probably was, but um, our only way, you know, official. But yeah, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, did we obviously we were led by some of the research we were seeing uh, about death of ransomware, and and certainly the company, some of the companies I talked to, I remember saying it, it's become becoming much more targeted. We're seeing people using it as a, as a function of many as a of a greater suite of tools, as it were. But um, I'm just reading the numbers along with you there, like from eight thousand to eight hundred. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. And sort of something we'll, we'll hint at a bit later on. Yeah, someone said to me in, in something we'll be running soon, um, you know, that if a small business is hit by a nation state, then they can't survive that. And who's who's really going to think £800,000, you know, I'm going to pay that unless you are a multinational bank. Maybe that's who they're targeted. I don't know. But yeah, quite significant numbers and ransomware, I think, is here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, another bit of uh, content from me. Um, it was covered as news, but I think it's got quite an interesting uh, angle to it as well. This was uh, the story about a um, an American cryptocurrency investor suing a New York high school senior over the theft of $23.8 million in digital currencies. Now, apparently the man has filed a civil complaint against an 18-year-old alleging that in 2018, when the individual would have been uh, 15, um, Pinksy, that's the name of the individual, masterminded a plot to defraud the man out of millions. Um, apparently, the, the, the teenager that did it, or when he was a teenager, was a, was a leader of a gang of what the gentleman described as digital bandits who stole from multiple victims after using SIM swapping to gain control of their uh, smartphones. Um, apparently, none of the team's alleged co-conspiracies have been named in the complaint. Um, and the uh, Turpin, the individual who's filing the complaint, accuses them and the young man of racketeering and computer fraud. Um, Turpin claimed that after hijacking the native wallet on his BlackBerry, again, remember those, um, the, the, the teen uh, cockily bragged to his peers that he would get away with his cybercrime. Um, Interesting comment here coming as well from Turpin. On the surface, uh, Pinksey is an all-American boy. Um, the tables are now turned. So... An interesting one. I mean, it, obviously, this is 
going back a few years um when and this, this supposed cyber heist occurred when the when the uh, teenager was you know 15 but 23.8 million dollars <laughs> how you know you, you know we see so many stories and almost sometimes contracting contract um things you know, stories about hackers being you know highly sophisticated like and you know complex like we just kind of mentioned in the uh, in the ransomware attack and then, then you've got you know these teenagers 15 years old and they're seemingly getting their hands on almost 24 million dollars it's it, it is crazy some of the things that you that you see but it's very entertaining and, and very interesting it's a very much yeah like a sort of slippery slope isn't it as well you know if I didn't have 15 million, 23 million dollars when I was 15. I can tell you, I don't have 23 million dollars now, and I'm well over 15. But um, it's uh, yeah, you can see where where someone where that could be, you know, quite a, a, an attractive proposition. But the same problem, of course, is that uh, you know that that's not a particularly good place you want to be when you're 15, and then of course he's 18. And, you know, in some cases, you know, they might not ever recover professionally from this. We have some some instances, of course, where hackers, as it were, you know, they they have ended up in in proper jobs and you know had good you know good careers in cybersecurity because uh, I can think of two or three off the top of my head straight away, you know, where they've actually gone on and built great companies. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, just, they could be steered. Yeah, yeah. Just an interesting part to 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 kind of finish off this story is now the um the man who's obviously gunning for the for the young man who uh, carried out this heist is now seeking uh, damages of seventy one point four million dollars. Um, yeah. So incredible amounts of money we're we're talking about here. Well, I hope you put that twenty-three million in the bank and then a good interest rate. You might be able to pay it off. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's a very tricky situation to acknowledge. Well, speaking of tricky situations, our last piece of news then for this 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 podcast um, relates to um, well, not something we've actually written about yet, but um, something that certainly happened on Twitter yesterday, which is um, as we record the twenty-eighth of May, and on Wednesday the twenty-seventh of May, where um, one particular website, in this case a, a, a brewer actually, a craft brewery from South Wales called Tiny Rebel, who, um, well, they sell some very, very interesting flavours and very interesting um, styles of beer. And, and this time of lockdown, actually, delivery companies, as we've seen, like Deliveroo, food deliveries, Uber Eats, etc., they've all, uh, you know, really successful because we were encouraged not to leave our houses. So ultimately, you know, we still want to get delivers in, whether it, you know, it was food deliveries in the supermarkets, which were a little bit hard to do, to food delivery to get, you know, your, your dinner in every, if you want to take, get takeaways, it's probably a bit more frequent. But also, you know, the, um, the sort of craft beer revolution certainly caught, caught by the uh, the lockdown and all these companies started offering really good deals and you know foot turnaround was very fast and tiny rebel was certainly one of the ones which i personally used um they've got some really really good stuff um but on yesterday and wednesday the 27th they did scale back a lot of their range in, in advance for a huge um new number of uh of different styles and, and some limited edition uh, brands which they were putting out and they announced they were doing it at midday now of course you might think midday on a wednesday well everyone's not pretty much working from home at the moment so we can all make ourselves available to uh, to get on that unfortunately for tiny rebel a lot of people did that and as a result uh, in their exact words in a tweet they actually posted due to the sheer number of people pressing refresh it sent the site into security mode thinking we were under a ddos attack um it did say all items are now online but the site is still experiencing heavy traffic um they were doing some server upgrades as a result um but as a result their, their website was pretty much down for about two hours on wednesday afternoon and it wasn't a cyber attack it was just a huge quantity of people trying to get onto their website and order make an order now as i said 
Uh, we've seen lockdown, maybe see lockdown relaxed by the time you listen to this. Next couple of weeks, we might see things and pe- you know be relaxed. People go out a bit more, but ultimately pubs remain closed. People are drinking at home, drinking in you know sort of socially a, a bit less, maybe drinking a bit more privately. So as a result, the, these websites like Tiny Rebels are sort of facing this heavier demand. And um, to suddenly launch it, I, I said on Twitter, you know, I've not sort of sat and waited for a website to reload so many times. It's probably Glastonbury tickets, um, but it did see the website struggling to uh, under reload demands and presenting error codes uh, suggesting that it was under some sign of security attack. Um, The other problem, of course, is that the ordering system seemed to be effective because uh, affected because some duplicate orders were made. Um, this led to the brewery having to tweet an apology to everyone who has experienced an issue on the online shop. Uh, there had been some duplicate orders and payments taken. Now, if you've got in there maybe 100 100 pounds worth of of beer and spirits, that that's 200 pounds. That's quite a significant hit. You know, even if you've got 23 million in the bank, um, they're promising to refund, which I'm sure they will do. And they thanked everyone for their patience and. Again, proof that, as we've seen with Black Friday, websites need to be prepared in these instances. You know, with all due respect, of course, due to Tiny Rebel, yeah, they probably didn't expect this number of people to go on and, and buy what they were going to be buying at, at the level of demand. But ultimately, they, you know, when you prep someone for a, a certain time, launch on a certain day, and you know, you say you'd scaled the range back, you'd sold out what was existing in advance of that, all of a sudden, a lot of people want to buy from you, and that they suffered the consequences. So they did say on Twitter that they were, as I said, they were moving to upgrade to Amazon in the next few days. So by the time you're listening to this, that should have happened. So you shouldn't have any trouble buying from them and also they said we're upgrading to the biggest and most badass server as we speak so they really seem to take this sort of a bit more post active post action uh, mitigations as it were but um i think the lesson learned here is to be prepared for an onslaught of orders if you've suddenly managed to get yourselves a uh, a bit of a fan base mm. no absolutely right i've actually visited that brewery in wales a tiny tiny rebel one very nice so I can see why, particularly at the moment, uh, they have added an influx in orders. Um, but yeah, good advice you've given there, Dan. Um, okay, we've got a couple of minutes left then, so let's look to, to wrap things up with just a bit of uh, news about what we're we're doing uh, at InfoSecurity at the moment and what you can look forward to uh, seeing from us um, in the sort of coming weeks, really. Um, Dan, our big report that you've been working very diligently and hardly on over the last, well, several months. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've been um, I've dropped a couple of breadcrumbs in the in the podcast today, including some of the comments. I can't remember if they made it into the final edit because uh, we've been working on this since really well. I started doing some of the first interviews while I was at RSA in late February, so um, we've been working on that um, so through through most of March, April, and May where we are right now. Um, yeah, just to give you some snippets just ahead of the the launch, which will be next Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday the third uh, of. Uh, June, yes, 3rd of June, get my date right, uh, at 1pm uh, BST, so if you're listening overseas, that will be 8am uh, uh, Eastern in the US, um, where we'll be doing a live webinar, you can find details on our website via the uh, magazine events page of where that is, That's, uh, I presume that's uh, nice and easy to access and uh, visit, I'll be doing the presentation to sort of do the results for the first time, and then you'll be able to download the whole white paper as well, um, but as I said, a few, a few little things I've dropped in there, including some of the stuff about nation state attacks, and some of the things about phishing, and and some other things, especially around the current trend around COVID-19. So yeah, it's been something that's been, um, yeah, been uh, keeping us busy certainly mm. over the last uh, last few months. 
Yep, sure. And um, we're actually going to be uh, quite busy next week. So by the, hopefully by the time this is this live, it will be actually um, at the time of listening, pretty much. We're going to be um, providing some uh, moderation support to InfoSecurity Info Europe, who are hosting their virtual conference next week. So that starts on the 2nd. Uh, so it runs on the 2nd and to the 4th. So they've got a, a, a schedule of live webinars, live sessions taking place throughout those three days. Um, on uh, various topics, some good sessions they've got there, and uh, obviously um, myself and, and 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 you, Dan and Eleanor, we're going to be helping out with some um, moderating of those sessions. So hopefully, looking forward to some good panel debates and some interesting insights. Yeah, I think we're doing one of us is doing a panel each day. I know I'm on Thursday, and I'm pretty sure you're Tuesday. Yeah. Which which makes sure makes Eleanor Wednesday. So if you're listening to this uh, and you're you know, in time to listen to us, then and do drop in. And um, yeah, we I'm, I'm from my perspective. I know we're talking about um, you know, budgets and you know sort of getting um, the board on side in terms of spending and stuff like that. I've got a, a really good panel with uh, four brands including Tesco underwriters, Justy and Estee Lauder and uh, a publishing company whose name escapes me right now but yeah it, it, it's a good panel it should be uh, quite nice and lively with uh, some sort of senior level speakers so um, and also just a couple of other things next week look out for the announcement about the blogger awards which is on Tuesday night um, there is a live zoom session again probably just maybe just in time for that but um, we will be covering a story uh, as the uh, as the awards finish uh, to let you know the winners um, we were shortlisted for a few so hopefully for some good news there but um, yeah it, it's going to be an interesting week obviously not on science at olympia as usual but uh you know we'll be uh you know involved in in it as as best we can yeah absolutely well okay i think that's everything for for this episode dan so um yeah it was a big thank you to listening um and we'll be uh, speaking to you again soon yeah thanks very much welcome to into security info security magazine's podcast